0: Listening to Fox Sports
1: Radio. Speaking of history, we had one this afternoon.
0: Yeah, earlier today in the bubble in Orlando, it was the Brooklyn Nets beating the Milwaukee Bucks 119, 116 the final. And RJ, you being the voice of Vegas, know where this acts up historically when it comes to upsets in the NBA.
1: Well, our database goes back to nineteen ninety-five. We trust back to nineteen ninety-five. This is the biggest upset in the NBA during those years. In recorded point spread history, pregame.com, biggest upset. Now, what have we said? High variance. High variance. Things are going to happen that you wouldn't expect to happen. That's certainly the case here. I mean, when you have 25 years of data and this afternoon happened to be the biggest upset ever – it's a sign it's a little bit of a sign now if you had bet 100 bucks on Brooklyn you would have won 1500 so 15 wow. to 1 payoff and by the way favorites during this time from 1995 onward who were favored by 17 points or more so this was Brooklyn was a 19 point underdog so the bucks were 19 point favorites 17 or more 86 and 0 straight up 86-0 <laughs> till this afternoon, now 86-1, 15-1 underdog. What do you think?
0: I mean, you know there had to be somebody somewhere, so that's a lot of points, but it's a sure thing that Milwaukee's going to win this game outright. So let me go ahead and bet him on the money line. What was the money line? <laughs>
1: <like>? <laughs> now, yeah, well, I wish I would have booked that one. <laughs> now, it's funny because the Milwaukee Bucks this year – On January 1, they were lane 18, and they beat Minnesota by only two. So in this era, the closest call of any game up to this point was this very Milwaukee team, this very season, favored by 18 and winning by two, now favored by 19 and losing the game. So obviously something about this Milwaukee Bucks team, when they have it locked up seemingly... They don't take it all that seriously, which goes against their amazing um, net margin. If you look at their score and their net margin, it's historically good, but against these really bad teams, they don't seem to play hard.
0: Should anybody be favored by 18 points when there's no home court advantage?
1: Well, that brings up a great point because if this a vast majority of the times there's been such a big favorite, that's been the home team. So if you just do the simple math, if Milwaukee was home for this game, Let's call it three and a half points for home in the NBA. I think that's fair. This line would have been 22 and a half. Wow. Now, Milwaukee might have won the game, but to have such a big favor with it not being a home game is rare.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, we were talking about, and we are going to get to the Lakers clinching the number one spot in the Western Conference, but we did have a massive upset earlier today for people just tuning in, uh, an upset that we haven't seen in over 20 years. It was the Brooklyn Nets over the Milwaukee Bucks, 119-116 earlier in Orlando. One game. If we
2: played them ten times, they might win nine, but not this game. Not tonight.
1: We're not quite nine... Out of 10, but rather 86 straight. 86 straight times since 1995. A favorite in the NBA of more than 17 points has won the game. Until this afternoon, Milwaukee Bucks go down, Brooklyn Nets win. Now, you asked me, how unusual is this, RJ, that a non-home team is this big of a favor? Amongst those 86 teams... 86 of them were home teams. So this is the (laughs) biggest non-home favorite we've seen in recorded point spread history. We trust going back to 1995, 25 years. And by the way, we have a new trend. If you have a favorite of more than 17 points who isn't at home, 0-1. one (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. Yep, yep, that's so, true. You
1: know, hey, I don't know if that's worthy of a play next time. <laughs> but and, – and what's interesting is, is it, this really is almost like a Rudy moment. And it shows you how much talent there is. I mean, this was effectively a G League squad for the Nets. They only had – they had seven of nine players that played in their last game in March. So let's say that last game in March was the key – Only two of the nine were there. So literally a team that was decimated without Kyrie, without Durant, then lost seven of their nine best players. And eight of the 11 Nets players have played in a G League game this season. Three of the Nets starters were undrafted. And only one starter played more than five games for the Nets this season. Or it started more than five. So literally this was a team full of second stringers. I mean, if this was like wrestling, Hulk Hogan would have been in one place <laughs> and this was like, let's say, um, uh, the, Brutus the Barber beefcake was headlining the B show.
0: The Brooklyn <laughs> the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah, yeah.
1: And those, somehow yeah. they beat the the Bucks. And it goes to show you anyone that questions how important motivation is, this is all I mean, could can you imagine that Milwaukee was max motivated. If you look at this Bucks team, net margin, that is simply how many points do you win by or lose by over the course of a season. Fifth best net margin ever. Milwaukee, 11 points per game. And it's a situation where net margin is such an amazing predictor of victory in the playoffs. In fact, Mackenzie and research, take again there's something like six or seven of the best net margin teams have won it.
0: Yep. The uh, Nets are f- um uh, sorry, the Bucs are fifth. The four teams with a higher net margin have all won the championship.
1: So think about that. Every team that's done as well or a little bit better here than the Bucks across the season have been the NBA champions. Bucks would be the best team ever in that margin not to win the title if they don't win. And then they get beat by a bunch of G leaguers. Motivation matters.
0: There's got to be somebody somewhere that bet on Brooklyn to win on the Monday. Oh, night. for sure, there's, fifteen there's to one. Be, yes, because that's that's something I always do. Because I always just look at it like you know, sooner or later something's gonna. Like I always bet the underdog in a heavyweight fight because I just look at it and go, all right, well, sooner or later, all he takes is one shot, and and everybody's going to sleep. So why not take the under? But I'm an idiot and I don't know how to gamble. So.
1: And they ask you, I think, in, in like, who'd you bet, Jonas? And you go. <laughs> Puncher's chance and take a drink of beer, right?
0: <laughs> that's all it is. That's what that's my move.
1: Well, speaking of that, Lakers more I guess the heavyweight champions in the West.
0: Yeah, that's right. The LA Lakers clinched the top spot in the Western Conference last night. 116-108 was the final over the Utah Jazz in Orlando.
1: To me, this what this makes me wonder is how good are the Lakers tomorrow or their next game? Because to me, uh, they don't play tonight, but it's like I think LeBron wanted to make a statement against the Clippers. I think LeBron wanted to get this baby clinched. And then you gotta wonder, like, what's the motivation from here? They're not gonna catch Milwaukee. And it doesn't matter, right? Because whoever comes out of the East, it's gonna be a neutral court. It matters within conference because you want to play the eighth team instead of the seventh, especially with the Mavs potentially. So, in general, kudos to the Lakers, let's give LeBron his due – but I got big question marks about motivation of the Lakers from here till the start of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I would agree, and I, I think this is really they wanted to get this out of the way. They wanted to, you know, seal this thing up and then really start to to rest guys. Maybe get in some some role players, get them some minutes, so that they can, you know, get acclimated to what's happening in the bubble and how it may be different from p- playing in L.A. Although, based on LeBron's comments after the game, in which he said, you know, they said I couldn't do it. Uh, you know, I'm going to take enjoyment in this one. I don't know where he got that from, so I'm sure he'll make up some sort of a motivating factor for the final games of the season.
1: Well, but i got to be honest with you. I give – I'm not a LeBron guy, right? Is I appreciate him, but I think of him more like Kareem. And, hey, Kareem's Kareem, right? We just say one name all these years later, and you know yeah. Kareem. And yeah, I bet there's kids shooting hook shots right now in their driveway, right? Yeah. So give him Kareem some credit – But he was an accumulator of amazing stats, not so much a champion, or let's say a guy that was tenacious for the title, however you want to describe Michael Jordan versus, let's say, a Kareem. And, you know, obviously he got with Magic, and Magic was more so like that. And he won, you know, multiple titles with Magic. And, you know, people make the case, I think it was the 86 team, that Kareem might have been the oldest player ever to be the number one option. On a championship team that even, I think you'd say 86, that if they needed a bucket to clinch a game, Kareem was getting the ball. Yeah. How often is it? I think he was like 39 at that point. I mean, give him a ton of credit. Now, what do we see with LeBron? Longevity. And, you know, Kareem did win. It just flashed up for me the 85 NBA Finals MVP in 85. I mean, so the guy kept himself in amazing shape. He was yoga, all kind of new age things, which is a lot like LeBron. But I think this year with a new player in AD, and obviously he's a heck of a player, but to take over effectively point guard responsibilities at his age, especially with the mouths on his legs, I think this is one of the more, I mean, if I think about LeBron's, like if I was going to make the case of how good he was, this is in the top five first five things I say for his career. What do you think?
0: Yeah, as far as leadership goes and just his ability to get the most out of out of teammates, I would say that I just have a hard time when he brings up this, you know, nobody said I could do it and all it's it feels like these are straw man arguments. I don't know who said the Lakers weren't going to be a top team in the west. they They acquired Anthony Davis, who's on the less handful of players who you would consider best overall player in the league. And last year, we can say whatever we want, but it looked like LeBron James mailed it in. So I have a hard time giving him all this credit in the world when we know a year ago he was drinking wine walking into the game. So I just, you know, it's it's tough for me.
1: Poor guy, that wine. He probably made a mistake there, I think. That, I mean, if he made his list of mistakes, it'd be, well, I think we got to go with the decision number one. But that wine, and it was Boone's Farm. I mean, that's the thing. You can't even, I mean, if it was 200 bucks.
0: I mean, allegedly, allegedly. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. We get to team number 26, and they are an AFC East representative known as the New York Jets.
1: Oh, this is going to be the most interesting one yet. Pull up your chair, get out your pencil, because there's a lesson here, Jonas. Super Bowl odds for the Jets 100 to 1. Season win total, 6.5. So, seven wins would exceed expectations, six would fall short. Division odds just to win the East nine to one. Okay, first question you got to ask yourself: Sam Darnold. Now we know Colin here at FSR loves him. It's it's really um, a mystery why so much. But we'll leave you know who knows. Right? Could be you know innocent. But the fact is, you can't even judge the Jets without judging Darnold. We got Steve Fazek, our pro football expert, his take on Darnold.
2: He hasn't been very good, 28th in QBR in 2018, last year 25th. Currently my number 29 rated quarterback. The narrative is that Darnold improved throughout the year after he had mono and that the Jets won because of it. The truth, the Jets won despite Darnold, specifically the last five games of the year. If you look at Darnold's stats below average, each and every game, his last five years. Now think about that. QBR
1: is the best single stat in quarterbacking. Just not even a debate, really. It's not a perfect stat, nothing is. But 50 means average. In fact, these days, 53, 54 means average, because since they set the average, quarterbacking has improved. But let's just call it 50. Last five games. Now I know mono can be devastating. I mean, I, you know, I remember kids. You know, they could hardly go to the school dance the next week. I mean, it it was a tough thing, but I saw the Brady Bunch, but here's the thing is when you play five games to end the year and we keep hearing about how strong the Jets ended because they did as a team. And in the first of those five games, Darnold does worse than an average quarterback, second worst, third worst, fourth worst, five worst. Five straight games, five straight performances below average. How that can be anything but below average I don't know. Pro Football Focus did a projection. They look at the first two years of a quarterback, and they say, where did they project to, to be ultimately? And if you look at where Darnold is, literally his comps, his comparables, are Blake Bortles, Geno Smith, Christian Ponder, Mark Sanchez. Just that simple. Wow. It's math.
0: Yeah, and you hear other quarterbacks that are criticized like Trubisky, and you look at his career so far compared to Sam Darnold's, I think Trubisky's been hands down a better quarterback. I would actually argue, if you look at that draft class that came out, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Rosen— I don't. I don't know if I would put ba- I don't know if I put Sam Darnold's career thus far ahead of anybody's other than Josh Rosen, who hasn't gotten. Yeah, no
1: chance, even. Yeah. I don't even think you can. Yeah. It doesn't mean he can't turn it around. It means history says this is his level. Baker Mayfield is projected way better. He's yeah. right there with Dak Prescott. If you look at Pro Football Focus. Okay, we got a bonus best bet from Fez. It's a total, over under Le'Veon Bell.
2: Jets running back, Le'Veon Bell, under 875 rush yards. It's all about the offensive line for the Jets. Five new projected starters. Now, this might actually be an upgrade for the Jets' O-line. However, I am very concerned about how they're going to mesh with Le'Veon Bell, who runs with a unique running style where he often hesitates and then evaluates the blocking scheme of his O-line and then makes his cut. Not being familiar with the O-line and how they set their blocks is going to be a big disadvantage to Le'Veon. I expect Bell will struggle early in the year with these changes to the O-line. Bell, under 875 rush yards, best bet.
1: I'd be much less than 875, but Le'Veon Bell, under very sophisticated point from Steve pregame.com, which is Le'Veon has a unique running style. You might have upgraded that O-line. It's going to take a while, that transition, especially in a COVID era, So I think Bell starts slow at minimum, and then this being likely the last year he'll be in New York based upon the buyout and all that, how much does he want to bang his head at the end of the year? We know he makes business decisions.
0: I mean, if he has over 875 yards, I think it's an indicator that they don't fully trust Sam Darnold because they're running the ball a lot.
1: That's a fascinating point. And what is certainly an indicator they don't trust Darnold is the fact they traded away their best defensive player with, for a play to the future when this is supposed to be the time when you have a good quarterback, and we'll put that in quotes, a good quarterback on a rookie deal is when you're supposed to be able to win it. Okay, last thing here, and this is fascinating. Fascinating. If you look at the team's that have entered a season, all right, so if we look at this, they had a losing record the previous season. So seven wins or less. And we're going back four years now. Those teams, there's 54 of them. So the Jets fall right in the middle of that, as in they're a losing team last year. And the question is, what does their win total do? Does it go up or down? Because they were bad last year. In only six cases, including the Jets, did the win total go down compared to the number of wins last year. So the Jets won last year seven games. This year, they have a win total of six and a half. So they have a losing record last year and a win total less this year. Only has happened six out of 54 times. Why? It's because usually... Almost always a team that loses the year prior is the kind of team that got bad breaks, maybe a bunch of injuries. The Jets had a lot of injuries. right? It might be something where they had a tough schedule, a lot of turnovers, all these different things. Jets actually led the league in injuries. You would think they'd bounce back. They won seven games last year. But somehow only about 10% of teams do they expect to regress even though they were a losing team last year. But if you look at the list, Jonas, almost all of them were in tank mode or first-year head coach. You've never had; it's really rare to have a veteran coach and a quarterback in place and have your win total go down after a losing year. This is an extreme amount of pessimism for the Jets in the marketplace.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.